0: It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Last week, we introduced a three-part series. If you had to pick six skaters to win a game for you in the final five minutes with your team down by one, who would you take? Has to be active NHLers. Has to be all from the same country. And last week, we started with Team Canada versus Team USA. And this week... We look at the two main Scandinavian teams. Episode 244 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth.
1: I'm Brett Duboff.
0: Before we get to to our big topic, uh, Brett, we do have uh, some other items on the agenda, don't we? Yeah,
1: we do. Uh thanks for not spoiling that just yet, but <laughs> um yeah, I mean as as everyone knows on our show, we sometimes t- go into politics, but of course it's not like we're experts in politics or anything like that and uh, it's not yeah. a politics. We follow show.
0: sports for a reason. Exactly. Is to not follow politics.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but um, it, like, but we always occasionally talk. Whenever big world events happen, we have to mention it just because it's our responsibility. It's not like we're dead to the world or anything. But uh, anyways, uh, Joe Biden has is the president of the United States. Um, and yeah, it's. I mean, I I, I guess we. It's not too surprising that both of us are extremely happy about this decision, even for someone like Steve, who hasn't who hasn't even been to this country ever. Um, so uh, It's true. I have never yeah.
0: been to the U.S., not so, an American in yeah. any sense of the word.
1: But I mean, I think we can both agree that there's still stuff like there's still stuff to do. Like we're still in the middle of a pandemic and. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's still climate change that stuff, actions that need to be made. And, um, you know, there's still all that Black Lives Matter stuff that needs to be addressed as well. So um, it's good that we have like a president in place who's taking all that stuff seriously again. Um, It was just like it was strange when I was watching Joe Biden speak last night. He was just like basically all these he said the bare minimum, basically just saying like, yeah, we're going to pay attention to science and we're going to pay, you know, we're going to do this and that. And then I was just like, I think he's like, like I just forgot what it felt like to have a president I can trust again um, and uh, and not try to divide the country. Um, I mean, again, it's it's like tough to imagine that anyone was voting for Trump, but there's also like that seriousness of like the fact that Almost a half of this country still voted for Trump, um, and yeah, like
0: more people voted for Trump than they did
1: Clinton in yeah. twenty
0: sixteen. And if you don't recall, she had the popular vote over right. Trump in twenty sixteen.
1: But the thing is, is that Joe Biden also like had the most popular votes out of both of them, uh, both Trump and he Clinton. Did, yeah, so uh, that was the. I mean, obviously, and popular votes don't really matter apparently now. Um, if we learned anything from the 2016 election, um, but yeah, it's, um, so it's kind of crazy to, um, so there's still some work to do and just in terms of uniting everyone together, even if you voted for Trump and stuff, but, um, at the same time, it's, um, we're, we're in a good step. We're, uh, we're in the healing process right now.
0: Yeah, I feel like America was part of a divided locker room yeah. where you have like <laughs> one one side taking one side and then the other yeah. side uh, taking the opposite opinion and nothing really gets done. Yep. When you have opposing sides on the same team, your team isn't winning. Right. When you're not on the same page. And hopefully America can get on that same page now and and they can get stuff done. Yeah. And I don't think they could have been even close to making the progress they p- could potentially make with uh, Biden at the helm than if they got Trump for another four years. Right, of course. Like just, just the way he conducts himself in that role, it, it, it doesn't make America look good. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, hopefully people um, can take the Americans a bit more seriously now uh, on yep. the world stage. Cause Frank, frankly, I, I think people lost a, a bit of respect for American in, de- in that department. So hopefully, uh, Hopefully they can right the ship in that regard for, for all of you, whether you voted for Trump, whether you voted for Biden, uh, regardless of your political views on this. Everyone's opinion here. We, and, and you know what, that's, it's, it's up for debate in terms of like politics, in terms of sports teams, not everyone's going to share the same opinion. That's totally fine. We can disagree so yeah. long as we disagree professionally and, um, yeah. Regardless of why you listen to this podcast, we love you all, but um, I I think a lot of Americans can agree that probably the best course of action was Trump not staying on board.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, Yeah, it is funny, like, I mean, to take this to hockey now, or transition it, it it is, like, I was thinking about this before when I was watching the election, it almost felt like like we were watching a sports game or something, it's like, oh, my side is... Winning the election right now, or like we have these states, and this is what we have to do to win the election. I mean, but like in a way, that's not how you should think about politics. It shouldn't be about like which side is winning. Like obviously, we all have different opinions, and that's okay. And I mean, even the like the Democrats. Like I don't agree with a lot of stuff that Democrats say as well. But you know, I, I mostly lean liberal um but it's still um you know but like it, in a way it's kind of like oh like where you know it shouldn't be like that it shouldn't be divided like that where like just because another team mm-hmm. is winning another party is winning um that doesn't mean that like you're um it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that or like back in the old days when like if Republicans won, I would be okay with it, but, you know, I wouldn't be thrilled, um, but at the same time, I'm just like, it's different for Trump, because he, uh, he just spewed hate, um, for his four years, and he probably will continue to, but, um, you don't have to care about him anymore, so. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's just the, the the vision of, of the guy leading the party that, I, I'm I'm sure a lot of people are taking liberties at it. and yeah. like you look at the way that he's tweeting, he's tweeting like he's won, even though the results of say course,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. he's it looks like he's gonna lose. Right. It 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 it's not, not the sound of, of a gracious no. winner or loser at, at all. So no, of
1: course not. It,
0: it it doesn't bode well for his for his character in, in that regard. And and just further illustrates that um, probably just hasn't been the, the right fit in – he might have been the right fit in the economic sense, but just from a personal standpoint, like like just because you have the best strategy, at the end of the day, if, if you're not the best person for the job, it's not going to work out well.
1: Yeah, It's I the mean, same with
0: sports, and it's the same with any other job.
1: I mean, I'd argue he, he didn't really do well financially either, considering – like no one has yeah. jobs anymore. I mean, um,
0: that's debatable yeah. too. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, but but, but I, I do understand what you're saying.
0: That's debatable yeah, too, but yeah, I would yeah. say that's more of its bread and butter than the personal side. So.
1: Right, 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 right. Um, I, I, anyways, <laughs> let's go to sports, which we know more about. Um, Anthony Mantha. Uh, so no, we're we have some. About for a living, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so we do have some hockey news before we get into our series again. Um, first off, Anthony Mantha and Tyler Bertuzzi get signed. Uh, so Anthony Mantha gets uh, four years with $5.7 million per year. Um, and then uh, I just had, where was Tyler Bertuzzi? Um, I just saw him. Um, it,
0: it was uh, a one-year deal worth $3.5 oh, yeah. million, and it should be noted this was decided by an arbitrator, not yeah. signed by the team or player this was based on a third-party ruling, and I believe it was the only decision this year where the arbitrator had to make a a decision on it,
1: so. Uh, Thanks for that. Um, Yeah, I I think this is a good, well, let's start with Mantha first. Uh, I mean, he was injured for most of the year, um, and then when he was healthy, towards the end, it wasn't, you know, the Red Wings weren't in contention or even close to it, so um, it's tough to really, uh, it was kind of like a lost year for him, but um, at the same time, he's one of their better players. He's kind of like uh, the right-hand man for with uh, Dylan Larkin and stuff. So um, I, I think that's a good deal for them to like lock him up long term because he's one of their better players, and it's not like he's too old anyways. That by the end of this contract, it's gonna look really bad because because um, he's 26 years old. So that means at the end of this, he'll be 30, um, and yeah, that's not too bad for him. Um, and then as for Tyler Bertuzzi, it's interesting that, I mean, I guess you were saying that because of arbitration that they did it this way, but it's, it's interesting that they, like, it's one year uh, for him anyways, because he's a pretty good player, um, so, like, I guess, like, eventually, maybe if he does well, you know, then they'll give up more than $3.5 million, even though he's worth more than that um, at the moment, so, um, yeah, I think both of them are good deals. Um, and yeah, we'll see how it works out. Even though like for Detroit, I feel like especially for them is like, since they're probably not going to compete this year either, um, like you don't necessarily have to worry too much about their cap space and stuff. Um, but, uh, cause they're going to be their their time to shine will be in the next couple of years anyways. Um, but, um, yeah, I do like those two deals, uh, notwithstanding.
0: Well, the, thing, the other thing about the Red Wings is you're going to have players on expiring contracts uh, at once it comes time to re-sign Mantha, and you're wondering,
1: right.
0: well, if, if his points per game continues to improve, he's probably going to ask for a lot. Um, the good news is um, you're going to have uh, contracts like Jonathan Bernier expiring by the end of those four years. Same with Thomas Grice, same with Danny DeKaiser and Mark Stahl that are pretty big uh, cap hits to their blue line. Um, at the same time, you also have depth guys like Darren Helm, whose contract's going to expire. Uh, they already bought out Justin Abdelkader, so they had more cap space to work with there. Uh, Franz Nielsen's contract will have expired at that point. Uh, depth guys like Bobby Ryan, Vlaslav Nemesnik, uh, their short-term deals as well. So with within the next four years, um, they're going uh, to have a fair amount of money to play with, even though they'll have more cider nearing the end of his ELC, probably. It'll be the same case for Philip Zadina, right. the same case for Lucas Raymond. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, so, th- so there's so there's that side to things. But even then, they'll still have a fair amount of money to work with. The other interesting thing is that Steve Eisman didn't want Larkin and Manta to be UFAs at the same time which is very, very wise oh, uh, yeah. decision by him. Um, Larkin will be a UFA in three years. So that's one year before Mantha becomes a, a UFA. So that's a, a separate matter that um, Steve Eiserman can deal with. And again, you mentioned Dylan Larkin and the chemistry with Anthony Mantha. Like, that's where the bread and butter of the Red Wings offense comes from. You yeah. look at um, Anthony Mantha's start uh, to this year, uh, he had 11 goals and 10 assists for 21 points in his first 22 games, 80 shots, six power play points during that stretch. And people forget the Red Wings were very, very bad last year. But to start the year in their first three to four games, they were like 2 0 1, 3 0 1, something like that. They're actually off to a respectable start. And then things started to fall off the rails. They had a massive losing streak. Uh, They didn't even get 20 wins this year. They had, like, 49 regulation losses. I think they had, like, not even 150 goals scored. And the fact of the matter is Anthony Mantha is their best goal scorer on the team. And he only played 43 games, and his points per game average was 0.88. So, like, yeah, he's never had 50 points in a career or in in a season in his NHL career, But the fact that he had 0.88 points per game on a very, very bad team, starving for offense, and he was still doing his thing in all situations, not just on the power play, but scoring even strength goals. um, And he's already got first line chemistry with Dylan Larkin. If he continues to stay healthy and to produce at that rate, this $5.7 million might seem like a bit of a steep price, but it could turn out to be a Brad Marchand-style kind of bargain for the Red Wings. And I think the bigger question will be not if the Red Wings can keep Anthony Mantha, but if Anthony Mantha wants to stay in Detroit. And I think yeah. part of it is due to the success they have in the next three to four years. If they're contending in three to four years and they're on the up-and-up, And there's incentive for Mantha to stay there, he'll stay there. Um, But if he thinks there are other contending teams that he can get his money and uh, give him a better shot at uh, winning a Stanley Cup, then maybe he exercises that option too. Because he's definitely a goal scorer on the rise. And I think you're going to see that uh, within the next couple of years. The Bertuzzi contract I like because it's it's a pretty good bargain, he's betting on himself recently played in an NHL All-Star game. Uh, His previous cap hit was 1.4 million per season. So this is uh, an upgrade by uh, 2.1 million in terms of AAV cap hit. And people forget that he was one of their best offensive players when Anthony Mantha was injured. He, He put up a pretty good season, again, on a pretty bad team he had 22 points over his first 42 games so he also got off to a a pretty respectable start this was in 2018-19 uh then he had 25 points in his final 31 games uh so we go to the start of this year when he was paired with uh guys like mantha guys like uh, athena uh he had 14 points uh on special teams uh 48 points in 71 games that's over a fully two-game season, 55 points, which is is, uh, pretty good. Um, But the inconsistencies, where he started to slow down in the second quarter and the third quarter, I think that probably hampered the amount of term he could get, the amount of dollars that he could get uh, per year. Um, So now that he's got a one-year deal, and he's still going to be an RFA after this, um, maybe this big year uh, coming up could lead into the big money contract he's looking for.
1: Right. It sounds more like a prove it type deal to see what he can do. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, just betting on himself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ryan Strom, uh, gets two years, uh, for 4.5 million. Um, each, uh, each of those years. I, I always say it wrong. I feel like I should start with the, the money, the value, and then the years. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, this is a good move by the Rangers. Although, uh, when you look at Ryan Strom's stats, it's like this year he had 59 points in 70 games and kind of became the de facto second line guy for the Rangers. Um, and you know he got to be on Panarin, He got to be on the line with Panarin at times as well. So uh, there was that. But at the same time, you realize that like you know, that was by far his best year. Um, and you know uh, he has he's only surpassed fifty points once. I um, mean that was his uh, second year in the league mm-hmm. um, when he was playing for the Islanders. So. Like I mean, I guess he does have potential and stuff, but at the same time, you do worry about the consistency factor. Um, there is Philip Hedel in the system. There's also Brett Howden, um, who are also centers. So, um, like I guess there, it's not like the Rangers have like um, wide depth in. Um, in the center position, anyway, so it seems like it's relatively safe unless Philip Hedel takes another step. Uh, but, I um, mean, of course, you have Mika Sabinejad, but <laughs> um, I'm not including him for this argument. But, um, so I, I think he'll probably still be the second line center. And, of course, you have Alexis Lafrenier um, in the system. In, who will probably be on the second line or maybe the first line. But either way, you're dealing with Panarin or Lefrenier, which isn't bad um, if you're in the second line center there. So, yeah, I think uh, this will, um, this could look good, but it could also look bad um, if he's not consistent. Because, again, like you were saying for Mantha and Bertuzzi, his consistency is a big issue, especially for him. Um, and we'll see how it goes for this year.
0: Yeah, the, the difference between uh, Tyler Bertuzzi and Ryan Strome is that Ryan Strome uh, was a top-five draft pick once upon a time. Right. And uh, one of the rising stars in the OHL when um, when he was going through his draft year and continued to excel, played a big role with Team Canada, the World Juniors as well. Um, and he's been in the, in the league a bit longer than Bertuzzi has. In fact, his first... 50-point season, as you mentioned, came in his second year. The year after that he regressed and was even sent down to AHL Bridgeport for some time. You don't normally see a guy score 50 points one year and then the next year find himself in the minors. Especially for a top five pick, uh, it's it's not often where you see that kind of stuff. So to say that he's worth like... He was looking for in arbitration $5.7 right. which... I guess maybe he was thinking, well, I'm probably not going to get that, but uh, maybe it, it it allows the Rangers to like sign me to like around like 4.5 million to 5 million. So right. if that was a strategy, it definitely paid off. True. But like you're asking for Anthony Mantha AAV after a year where, yeah, your numbers were great, but they've been the best they've ever been since your second year. And you played almost all of that year with the guy who was nominated for the Hart Trophy named yeah. Artemi Panarin. Right. And right. who has been blossoming into one of the league's uh, brightest stars in that time. So it, if I'm Ryan Strome, the next test is okay, I got to do this without relying as much on Timmy Panarin. And not to say that he was relying much on Terry Panarin to begin with, but a lot of the offense yep. um, was thanks to Panarin. He was playing on Panarin's line a lot. So now, now the test is, can he do this uh, without um, Panarin setting up goals or scoring goals? Um, like the amount of power play damage, um, the 18 goals, the 41 assists. assists—that um, That's quite a jump considering his numbers the season before when the Rangers didn't have Panarin. And they were pretty good, but they weren't even... 40 points good right like this this is a guy that was traded for jordan Neverlay, and then mid-season traded to the rangers right so that that's going to be that's going to be the big talking point and if he kind of regresses this year it wouldn't surprise me if the rangers maybe convince seattle to take him off their hands yeah um for the sake of protecting uh, some of their younger talents so it'll be interesting uh, to see what comes out of this and um once this two-year deal expires Brian uh, Strom will be eligible for free agency, so he can pick his own landing spot if this doesn't work out.
1: Yeah, you do bring up a good point, um, and I kind of alluded to that too. But like, even still, it's like if he's not going to be with Panarin, he's going to be probably with Lafreniere or Chris Kreider on the other on the on the left hand side. So those are pretty good guys to to play with, and um, mm-hmm. you know, even if he's not with Panarin, who's uh, pretty good, um, but so that's yeah, that's kind of um, the interesting thing and something to pay attention to in the future. But maybe like not this season, but next season we'll we'll worry about that. Um, yeah, Ryan Pulak gets uh, five million per year, and those are two years. Again, I can't pronounce it correctly, but um, this is. I mean, Ryan Pulak has been kind of like the best offensive defenseman for the Islanders and kind of the best defenseman for the Islanders for quite a while. Um, I mean, uh, he's been pretty consistent, um, although it's like, you know, he has kind of, he's pacing towards like half a point of a uh, game per game um, almost for the last three years, um, I guess, roughly, <laughs> if you could say that um, if I did my math correct, um, and he's still, like, 25 years old, so it's, it's not too bad, um, and yeah, I, I, he, he plays some defense as well, so he's kind of, like, a big player for them on the defensive side of things, and a big reason why they've been so successful, um, the past two years, at the very least, um, but yeah, at the same time, you know that like Noah Dobson's in the mix, um, and um, I wonder when Noah Dobson will get his fair share of ice time and and things of that nature. But um, it it won't it, it shouldn't be too bad um, in the grand scheme of things because if Noah Dobson could like take over because it's a two year deal. And Noah Dobson could take over pretty soon anyways. Um, the interesting thing is is that I'm just noticing here, um, four Islander defensemen are have their UFA, or their contract ends in 2022-23 uh, season, so in two years. Um, and also uh, no Dobson's going to be an RFA that year as well. So <laughs> it's Bowie, Chuck, Letty, Pulak, Thomas Hickey and then Dobson. So they have five got uh five defensemen who are gonna be UFAs or free agents the that that year, which is kind of interesting. And not to mention, I guess you have like uh Kyle Clutterbuck, Leo Komarov, and Ross Johnson on the forward side, but um <laughs> that's just a it's a funny thing that they did there where all their defensemen are on short term deals.
0: Yeah, and it, it I think part of um, the names that you just mentioned um, are are probably playing a big role into why this was a shorter-term deal. Um, This is a guy that has put across the board at least 30 points for three straight years, which is pretty good, around 150 shots a year is what you would normally get out of this guy, but plays big minutes, power play, um, even strength, um, just one of their best defenseman all around his two-way play is uh, uh, one of the best on the island right now and a a huge part of their defense um but the guys that you mentioned like casey Sizikas, with a year left on his deal um you have matt martin who's currently a ufa not sure if they have the cap space to bring him thomas hickey buried in the minors andrew Ladd buried in the minors um they they had an option after their arbitration cases were done um a second buyout window was going to pop up it would last 24 hours i don't believe the islanders ended up using that and they have three four million to re-sign matt barzell uh so they're probably going to have to make a move or two to make that work and fit in matt barzell's cap hit um so i think with some of those contracts expiring within the next two years, that probably pre- frees up the cap space to make a longer-term commitment uh, to Pulak at that point. Um, and this, at the time, uh, on the flip side, gives them more time to see what Noah Dobson provides, to see what Sebastian Ajo, the defenseman, provides, uh, to see what Bode Wild provides as well. Um, so I think it's a proactive move that, I think will eventually lead to a longer term commitment, but I think they're just think they're just trying to make sure they don't get themselves into a bind moving forward and they know where the money's going. So I think that's uh, part of the reason. Um, and now of course the big ticket for Lamorello is to find out how they're going to keep most of the core together while also giving Matt Barzell what he wants and what commitment are they going to give to Barzell? Is it going to be a two year deal, a three year deal? Uh, we saw that when a pandemic wasn't going on last year with some of the RFAs, like Matthew Kachuk, for example, like Patrick Laine, for example. Um, or maybe maybe they'd go a bit longer than that, and and they give him a five-year deal um, instead of like a six or a seven or an eight-year deal. The danger with the five-year deal is if you get him on a cap-friendly contract, Barzell's 23 right now. He's going to be... 28 when the deal ends which takes him straight to free agency so that's the danger with a five-year deal is you're going to be you're going to be maybe uh, testing the limits um in terms of re-signing Barzell long term after that five-year deal ends so um I'm sure a lot of that is going to play into um Lamorello's plans when he does make a decision and Lou's been in the game for a long time so I'm sure um I'm sure whatever agreement uh, they commit to, it's going to be for the right reasons.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point. We'll see. Um, and then lastly, the the doubt. We have some Dallas Stars news. I think we both knew that Tyler Sagan and Ben Bishop were seriously injured during the playoffs. Um, they both uh, they both had surgery in the offseason and will each miss approximately five months. Uh, which will be, like, March at the earliest. Um, so this is going to be kind of a big sting for them and probably a big reason why they even uh, signed uh, uh, Anton Kudobin um, to begin with because, you know, Ben Bishop's probably going to miss uh, a couple of starts and you don't know how he's going to do after the surgery. So... Um, it's good to have like at least someone there and then we'll, we'll probably have to, we'll probably see what Jake Edinger can do, um, during that time. Um, because, uh, because I don't think they have to, like another backup besides Kudobin. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that mixture of Kudobin and Edinger does, um and then as for Tyler Sagan it's I mean we I think we mentioned before at the Stanley Cup finals like he was dealing with multiple injuries and stuff like that and I kind of wonder if that had like in a like that's going to affect him long term but I guess at the same time if you're getting surgery you're doing something to um to make a change and stuff but there's always risk involved with with that so I mean you know I good luck with the recovery, both you guys, if you happen to be listening. Um but uh yeah I think uh it, it's uh it'll be definitely interesting, especially with like a shortened season. Um and they'll be back in like, you know, half at the halfway point.
0: Yeah, so um the influence Sagan apparently um there's a labor that was basically totally torn. And uh, surgery was necessary, so it wasn't a proactive thing. It was just like, yeah, we need to get this addressed ASAP because um, when there's tearing uh, when there's tearing of leg muscles and stuff like that, blade uh, uh, rims and whatnot, you don't want to chance that at all. Right. Uh, that could cause a ne- negative long-term effects if you don't treat that. So I uh, was initially expected to be a four-month recovery, but um, the typical timeline for those injuries to heal is four to six months, so... Uh, five months is probably uh, their proactive uh, timeline, and something that that can't be rushed. And the key to the Stars' playoff run was Jamie Benn and Joe Pavelski both stepped up their games. Don't know if that's going to be a theme once the new season begins. So um, Dallas might feel uh, the loss of Sagan relatively early, depending on how the depending on how uh, the season starts off for them. Uh, ben Bishop. Uh, it's a meniscus issue. Um, it wasn't as bad when he had the first knee surgery in May, um, but then they had some second opinions. They looked at some MRIs, and apparently the meniscus was torn, so surgery was needed. And with Seattle coming up, there's also going to be a matter of, okay, what's our goaltending going to look like? Are, are we going to protect Bishop over Hudobin and hope that uh, Seattle doesn't take Hudobin? Um and I think the seasons that open and Edinger have and the long-term health of Ben Bishop uh, could also dictate where the stars go there. Um, I know they have a few more years committed to Bishop, but um, that that game plan uh, could change depending on what happens this year. Who really knows? So,
1: Yeah, that's a good point, too. It's like maybe like you would like to think that, I mean, of the three goalies, Ben Bishop's probably been the most consistent, of course, when healthy, but... Like, you'd like to think that um, his job security is pretty safe, but at the same time, you, you never really know. So um, there is a chance that one of those two, Jake Ettinger or Kadobin, could take over and become the guy even when Bishop is healthy. Uh, but at the same time it's like yeah i think either
0: one of bishop or udobin um if one of them are available on the market um i definitely think uh seattle probably targets one of
1: them yeah i was about Um, to say because
0: vegas went for the safe betting goal with flower um when when they had to assemble their team in 2017 and flurry's been a big part of that right i think someone like bishop or udobin could have that same effect if uh if they went to Seattle too, so. yeah,
1: I was I was about to mention Seattle. <laughs> in fact, so that that yeah. could also be a, another thing. I would imagine they'd probably want to stick with Bishop, um, mm-hmm. but um, who knows? Um, anyways, um, so and then lastly, in kind of tragic news we forgot to cover this last week, but. Um, it's kind of, like, a bigger... Like, this guy, Travis Roy, um, he... he's He was on... Um, if Like, it's kind of... I feel like he's more in, like, well-known, definitely, in Boston, the Boston hockey area uh, circles, but maybe not, like, the full, like, hockey <laughs> circles. But um, mm-hmm. he... So, in case you don't know... Um, in 1995, Travis Wa- Raw, who played for BU Boston University, um, I believe
0: it's uh, Travis Roy, not uh, oh, Patrick yeah, Raw. Uh, like no, Patrick.
1: no, you're right. That, I, sh- I should say Patrick Roy. Um, <laughs> but anyways, in his first sh- ever shift, he got uh, injured. He slid into the boards uh, headfirst mm-hmm. um, and broke like a bunch of like vertebrae in his um, in his spine. Um, and that, yeah. that forced him to become a quadriplegic. Um, and then he sort of like became the quote unquote mascot for the Boston University Terriers um, ever since. Um, he's been like a big part of their, their organization for, you know, since he died um, after, after that event. And he even created like a Travis Roy Foundation, which is to help people who have spinal cord injuries. Um, and the fun research into a cure so um, yeah he was a you know this is kind of like the facts of like there's stuff that some things are bigger than sports and stuff so it's kind of cool that like although he never got to like play hockey ever again it's pretty cool that he was able to like use like this unfortunate incident to to better the world And, and that's something that's very admirable
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that one shift he played um, lasted for 11 seconds, yeah. but the impact that he had cannot be measured. And um, anything he did on on the hockey ring, like even if this didn't happen and he had a great NHL career, um, that, what he did is is much bigger than that. Raised more yeah. than nine million dollars uh, with the help of the Travis Roy Foundation. Um, he died due to complications from a necessary surgery brought on by. More than two decades of being in a wheelchair, so this injury maybe unintentionally uh, led to his death. Only 45 years old, but yep. you talk about guys that wanted life. Travis Travis Roy is just a champion and just a, a very special guy, and uh, real, really feeling for for his family right now. Uh, just just a great guy.
1: Yeah, of course. All right, so now we get, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, where we did the Team USA and Team Canada. Now we're going to do the same thing for Sweden and Finland. Um, And again, to remind everyone of the rules, these are active NHL players. We have to pick one center, one left winger, one right winger, two defensemen, and one goalie. Um, The idea is that there's five minutes left in this game team is down by a goal, who do you want on the ice for the majority of those five minutes um, in order to score a goal or to win the game? Um, So we kind of decided that we'll do the same kind of thing because last week, um, even though like last week it was kind of simple to divide it up because uh, Steve's Canadian, I'm American. But this week we decided that uh, there's more sends. In the history of the world, there's more Swedish players who have been a part of the Ottawa Senators than there have been on the Bruins. So he's going to go first on all the picks for Sweden, and then of course Tuka Rask is on the um, is on is a Finnish player, um, and he's going to be uh, so I'll take Team Finland. Uh, so so sweet uh, for Sweden. I almost called you Sweden, <laughs> Steve. Uh, Who is your center for Team Sweden?
0: Oh, cent- the center for T uh, for uh, for Steve Sweets. Um, yeah, basically. Th- this this is an interesting one because you had a lot of options. You have Nicholas Backstrom that um, that obviously has the pedigree of a number one center. I'm going with Elias Peterson though. Yep. Um, I would say he is a rising star in the NHL and ultimately the best playmaker for this top line. Um but at the same time you, you you need a playmaker uh to set up the goals and there are a lot of guys um that are capable of scoring a lot of goals for team sweden you have like mika Zabanajad, who's a 40 goal scorer and elias lindholm who's an efficient goal scoring machine in his own right um but i think for the center it's important to go with the playmaker pearson fits that bill uh speaking of being a guy that um, that can score with efficiency, Pearson can do that as well. Um, as a rookie, he had 28 goals on 144 shots. That's a 19.4 shooting percentage. Uh, shooting percentage went down this year to 16.7%, but still scored 27 goals on just 162 shots. Uh, 66 points on the nose for both of his first two NHL seasons. Then you take a look at uh, what he did against teams like St. Louis against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights uh, in the play-in series with Minnesota he was, he was one of those guys that really dictated the play uh, that didn't get into penalty trouble um, would more often than not uh, force the other team into making mistakes yeah. and I think um, that's something that really needs to be the face of the top line and um someone that protects the puck as um as well as he can and for a guy that's only been in the league for two years he's shown an awful lot so i really like the upside that he provides and i think it's just only going to get better from here yeah he might struggle but i don't think he's going to get any worse than what he is now i think what you see in his first two seasons is basically going to be his career average Right. And I expect him to be better than his career average more often than not. So I would say Pearson's my number one center.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of good choices for center for Sweden. Uh, Sweden. I actually thought you were going to go with Mika Zbignad. Um, but uh, there's also Nicholas Backstrom, William Carlson, uh, Michael Backlund. Um, yeah, I was deciding between both Peterson and Zbignad. Because uh, those are clearly the two best—not just centers, but the two best forwards for Sweden—and um, I, yeah. So I, I also ended up going with Peterson as well. Um, it was tough for me because, like, I felt like, like I was using the criteria when I chose Matthews over Eichel. I was thinking like Matthews scores a lot more goals, and that's probably more valuable than a center. Um, in a center compared to like Eichel who. He does a lot more assists, but at the same time, I think, like, Pedersen impacts the game more than Zbigniewicz does. Um, like, I remember back uh, before Pedersen was... Peterson, sorry, I keep on messing that up. Uh, before Peterson was on the Canucks and stuff, and it, it felt like the Canucks weren't, like, really good. Um, you know, in fact, they were a lottery team. Um, and then the rookie year it was just, like, so quick, uh, so fast, like his—he—he um, he knows where all the like every player is on the ice. It seems like he's just like a a robot almost. Um,
0: and that's part yeah. of the chemistry. I think that's so valuable. That exactly. you need in a playmaking center exactly. is that chemistry. Like almost instantly in his yeah. rookie season, him and Besser just were thinking on the same wavelength. Exactly in like the first twenty games.
1: Yeah, and it, it's something like I feel like. Just I feel like only like maybe McDavid and there's a couple of other ones I'm probably blanking. McKinnon's another one, but like I feel like Peterson. Peterson is one of those difference makers that I like because I remember during his rookie year when Peterson was out, the Canucks were one of the worst teams in the league, and yeah. then and then when you put him in, he, like all of a sudden the Canucks are like a serious, we're a serious contender. Um, of course. Like there's still room to grow for him, and he's only going to get better. He's 21 years old, um, so uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Peterson's also my choice here, um, and also more to the fact that like he just the way that he affects every other player on the team, um, and not just himself. And he can he can score a lot too. So um, like I, he may not get it like 40 goals like Sabanj had. But I could see eventually he'll get, like, 35 goals um, at some point in his career. Um, it's, it's Yeah, not and you look at
0: the amount of power play time that he also defense. logs. Like, yeah. if, as a rookie, he was 41st in NHL skaters. And this is including defense. Like, NHL skaters, period. He was 41st in total power play time as a rookie. As a sophomore, he was 7th overall. That's... That's just how deceptive he is, and that's how much he can dictate the play and change the pace of the game, and can really turn around. And in a fixated amount of time, like five minutes, where you need two goals, uh, that's where having a guy like Peterson um, can make the impossible comebacks possible. Um, Just because you're a tougher offense to read.
1: Exactly. All right, so who is your left winger?
0: Left winger, I would probably say, well, you got the playmaking center. You want the guy that does the little things right? That would be Gabe Landisgog for me. Um, for starters, he's been wearing the captaincy for the Avalanche since his late teens, so he's got the leadership capabilities as well. If you look at his rookie season, people talk about how good he was in 2018-19. Look at his rookie numbers. Yeah. 22 goals, 52 points in 82 games. He had six power play goals, 12 points with the extra man averaged 18 minutes 37 seconds per game 270 shots on goal that remains a career high along with 219 hits yeah it's it's unreal how a guy with that much skill can rack up 200 hits over 200 shots and have a 50 point season as a rookie and also get 22 goals and be a force on the power play and then over the course of the years um His ice time has increased. Um, He's been averaging like three to four minutes on the power play over the past three years because that's how lethal Colorado is on the power play. We talk a lot about Colorado being among the league's best at um, just basically putting the other team on the penalty kill and just going to work and just carrying the puck around and playing keep away. Um, And Landis has been on the Avs' top power play unit, so it, it only makes sense why he would average, like, three to four minutes per game on the power play of the past three years. Um, but even still, not necessarily one of those guys that blows you away, that racks up the shots. Um, there have been a couple of times where he's had 200-shot campaigns. Um, typically, like, the average is around the neighborhood, 160, 180, but he's still a guy that can get you, like, 20 to 30 goals, um, 50 to 70 points. Um, is, is um I think he had, like, 70-plus points in 2018-19. That was his best year on record. Um, so I, I think when you look at the amount of intensity that he plays with and the amount of skill that he provides on the left side, it's undeniable uh, who their best left winger is, and it's Gabe Leonard Scott.
1: Yeah, I I also have to agree. I was, when I was looking at all the Swedish players that are in this league right now and, and all that stuff. I was like, you know, Philip Forsberg, he's pretty good. Andre Burkovsky, he's pretty good. Uh, even like Victor Olsson. I was considering Rick, Ricard Raquel, but like, I feel like Gabriel Landeskog first off, like, I know he gets injured a lot, but like <laughs> he had 44 points in 54 games last year. Uh, I think that's the best points per game out of anyone other than, I mean, obviously, uh, at or Peterson, but like that's that's pretty close to being a point per game type player, um, yeah. and so that's that's impressive there. And, and as you were mentioning, he can also hit. Um, he's he's one of the better like power forwards in the league, and he's pretty consistent too, um, as well. Like I, I think there's been a couple of years where like you know he he had a down, a pretty down year. I think. Uh, 2016-2017 year but like every other year um, he's been fantastic or or, like at least more than 50 points Um, so um, I'm talking about like a full season type thing so um, and like you know people even forgot that he even won the Calder Trophy uh, his rookie year in 2011 so um, yeah I I think uh, Gabriel Anaskog is um, is the choice here. I was considering Philip Forsberg, but I feel like he had a down year this year, so it's a little bit more risky to, to take someone like that. Um, yeah, I also yeah. think
0: Forsberg, there's consistency issues. Yeah. Like, when he's rolling, no question about it, yeah. like he's on another planet. But, uh, again, similar to other players that we mentioned, when they go on cold yep. streaks, they're almost invisible. You know what you're getting with Landis Fogg every exactly. time.
1: Exactly. And yeah, I was like thinking the same thing about like Burakovsky or Olufsen. It's like they had a good season this year, but if they like that, would, that's pretty much been their only good season. So um, it's tough to really like acknowledge that um, in like the best left winger in uh, first team Sweden. Um, Ricard Raquel is another. Um, worthy mention uh, again he's kind of has the Forgeberg issue where he's kind of regressed in in uh the last couple of seasons but he's still pretty good um and like uh Gustav uh, I guess he's more of a right winger um but yeah so okay let's go to right wing who is your right winger
0: uh, I would say probably the most efficient 30-goal scorer that Team Sweden has, it's not Philip Forsberg, it's Victor Arvidsson. Okay. Um, i never seen a guy quietly pot in 30 goals in a season like Victor Arvidsson does. Um, to be fair, this year wasn't his best. Uh, if he played a full 82 games, he would only have 40 points. He had 15 goals and tw- uh, 28 points in 57 games this year. Um, power play ice time went down. His average ice time was 19.09 in 2018-19. This year, it went down to 16.12, so that's almost a three-minute drop, a full three-minute drop there. Um, His shooting percentage um, was at least better than his rookie season shooting percentage, but it was only 11.8, so not nearly as good as it was in previous years. You look at the three previous seasons, though. They were very, very good. Uh, So we'll start with 2016-17 He had 31 goals, 30 assists 246 shots on goal 5 shorthanded goals and only 4 power play goals And that's the key thing He had 5 shorthanded goals that year Not once in his NHL career has he scored 5 power play goals in a season And it's largely because Nashville isn't good at scoring on the power play They're the exact opposite of the avalanche Um, So the fact that he can still score 30 goals And you don't need him to do it on the power play uh, just shows you how capable he is at scoring in all situations. Um, so he gets 61 points in 2017-18. So uh, carbon copy on the points department there. Uh, but he does it in two fewer games played. Is 82-game pace slightly increases from 63, uh, 63 points to 64 points. Um, scores 29 goals on 247 shots. Um, so the goal scoring takes a slight hit, but only a bump of two goals. That's not bad. And at this time, he's averaging around 17 minutes per game, inching closer to 18 minutes. Then we get to 2018-19, where he has 34 goals on 195 shots. Shooting percentage increases by a considerable amount, 17.4%. That's a personal best for him. And those 48 points um, are impressive when you consider that... He did it in a reduced workload because injuries kind of screwed him there. Um, Only played 58 games, so 48 points in 58 games. Over an 82-game pace, that's 68 points, and he still got 34 goals, a career high, in those 58 games. And again, did it without any sort of heavy lifting on the power play. So if you need efficient goal scoring, look no further than Victor Arvidsson.
1: Yeah, that's a good uh pick there. Although, I have to be honest, I didn't really consider him because I feel like his this season wasn't particularly great for him um and it, yeah. he kind of had a steady decline, but Yeah, as um, so an established yeah.
0: NHLer, was his worst by far. You're right.
1: Exactly. So, I felt like that deterred me a bit. Um I I found that like uh right wingers for Sweden was a lot tougher than uh, all the other positions. Um, there's loads of good left wingers, loads of good centers, um, but there aren't too many good right wingers. And uh, you know, defensemen and goalies are decent as well, obviously. But like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I felt I found it hard to pick right wingers. Um, I was it was pretty much a toss up between Elias Lindholm and William Nylander for me. Um, and I say I went with William Nylander. Um, because Nielander, even though he's been in the league less than Elias Lindholm, and I'm looking at their past couple of years uh, for both of them, if I'm comparing them to, them um, you know, when, when William Nielander's on the ice, he's, he's, he's pretty good. Um, you know, he has, like, 211 points in 307 games in his career, um, this past year, he had a kind of, uh, 59 points in 68 games. It's kind of weird to think about this, but, like, even, like, I know he plays for Toronto, which is, like, probably the, the most attention that, like, the media-driven team that, um, every, like, in the NHL, um, or gets the most attention in the NHL. I can't speak for some reason. Um... Like, he still seems to be kind of underrated in a way. He, uh, he's pretty good, um, and, uh, you know, like, I mean, obviously he gets to play with Matthews and Tavares um, at times as well, so that's probably another factor towards it, but, like, there were times when, um, you know, he can be good on his own, um, and he just gives them another option uh, to to make them a scary target on offense. And, uh, he's a big reason why Toronto is that you know scary of a team um, in in terms of their offense um, because you know you have sure you have Matthews, Marner, and Tavares, but you also have William Nylander um, who um, he's not as good as the other four that I just mentioned, but um, he is still pretty good um, in his own right. Um, yeah, I, I, I and as for Elias Lindholm, I, he did have that good year last year, and uh, you know, fifty-four points in seventy games isn't too bad. But at the same time, I feel like he, he just needs to show some consistency. So if I'm not taking Philip Forsberg or Ricard Raquel, I, I can't, I can't justify taking Elias Lindholm. Uh, on this front either. So, um, yeah, I think that, and, like, you know, he he wasn't really that good in Carolina. Um, or, like, he was okay in Carolina, but wasn't, like, great. Um, and maybe if he has more of those, like, 60-plus type seasons, then I'll be like, okay, maybe he is kind of going to be pretty good. But, um, yeah, well. It remains to be seen um, for him, and I think that William Nylander is more consistent than Elias Lindholm is.
0: I think both um, uh, of those guys, as well as Victor Arvidsson, if you put them on the top line, they're going to cash in big time Uh, because that's how Lindholm generated most of his offense when he was on the top line getting top power play minutes on uh, the Calgary Flames, and he he really popped off in 2018-19. Uh, Neilander is one of those guys again, you put him with Matthews, put him with Tavares, um, he's going to put up points and and even before Matthews was an established player um, he showed signs of promise when the Leafs weren't nearly as good as they are now, so um, I I definitely think uh, Nylander is capable of being the number one option on the right side, honestly you can flip a coin for uh, Nylander, for Lindholm and uh, for Victor Arvidsson and, and they would be able to to, to do an adequate job on the right side. I just think, in, in terms of efficiency, um, if Victor Arvidsson can do what he did in Nashville, imagine putting him on a line with Elias Pearson. Um, I really think he could take off um, and just reach another stratosphere uh, with, with Pearson as his linemate.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's true. All right, so who is your defense... Uh, the two defensemen
0: well I I said I love the amount of Swedish content that the Sens have drafted over the years Uh, doesn't get much better than Eric Carlson Um, I understand the takeaway giveaway ratio is always going to be pretty high and and not in the best way but when you have the creativity that he possesses the risk is always present when he's trying to make something happen out there a player that fits the mold of an Eric Carlson is supposed to do that Uh, the bigger concern for me is his health Um, Part of the reason, actually the only reason, why in the past few seasons, Eric Carlson hasn't played nearly as well as Eric Carlson can. But when he is healthy, and when he is delivering, we all know how much of a force he is on the ice. Uh, Over the years, his defensive game has improved. Um, In the 2016-17 season, when he was a finalist for the Norris Trophy, he was near the top of the leaderboard in blocked shots by defensemen. Uh, when he has the open space to do what he wants, he can dominate a game. He can eat up minutes, quarterback a power play, uh, rack up a ton of assists. Typically gets you sixty to eighty points. At worst, forty to fifty. Um, and he's got a lot more to give. So Eric Carlson's still my guy. And uh, so that would be the first. Uh, that would be the first uh, defensive slot. The second would right. be. Uh, the other popular Swedish defenseman, which would be Victor Hedman, who uh, plays in uh, Tampa Bay for the Lightning. And the offensive upside has been pretty good uh, for Victor Hedman over the past four years. He's played at an Eric Carlson-like level, uh, won the Consmite as playoff MVP this year, really elevated his game as the playoffs were on, and um, has been... A, a capable of posting 50 60 70 points in that neighborhood in each of the past four years um a guy that can register double digits and goals um and do so consistently 40 to 50 assists they're just expected at this point because he's that good and he's not even 30 years old so gotta have that duo of Carlson and Edmund on that blue line
1: yeah um that's I figured he would go with Eric Carlson, um, and uh, yeah, it makes sense for Victor Hedman too. Um, yeah, uh, before I make my picks, I just wanted to note that there's a ton of good Swedish defensemen. Yeah, um, it's
0: probably the toughest position exactly. out of the out of the positions that we've had to sort through. It's arguably the toughest by far.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, I so there's Victor Hedman. Of course, Eric Carlson, as you mentioned. Rasmus Dahlin's also here. Oscar Kleffbaum, Matthias uh, Eckholm, Alexander Edler, John Klingberg, OEL, Eric Gustafson, Jonas Brodin, Rasmus Anderson, Hampus Lindholm. Um, you know, even like Adam Bockfist in a couple of years. Um, Rasmus Sandin, Rasmus for, Sandin. Yeah, for a couple yep. of years. Eric Brandstrom in a couple years. Um, you know, there's a bunch of these guys like Tobias Bjorn fought, fought um, in a couple of years as well. So it's, it's not just players that are good right now. There are going to be players that are going to be good in a couple of years too. Um, and I think that a lot of that has to do with how, how much influence Nicholas Lindstrom had, because uh, he was the Swedish defenseman for so many years. And I guess mm-hmm. a lot of Swedish players in hockey just said, you know what? I want to do what Nicholas Lindstrom did. And then all of a sudden, you have Victor Hedman and Eric Carlson, who are uh, phenomenal in their own right. So um, he's
0: definitely the trailblazer by far. Nicholas Lindstrom started that trend of, of young, promising offensive defenseman from Sweden. Yep. Like he was their guy; he was their idol.
1: So my first pick is uh, Victor Hedman. Um, it, you know, it's kind of crazy because he's you know he like, as evidenced by anything that you saw during the playoffs, or even, you know, last year, um, in the regular season, he's, he kind of, like, makes the Tampa Bay Lightning who they are, I mean, yeah, of course, you have Stamkos, you have Kucherov, and Brian Point, of course, but, like, <laughs> in terms of, like, every other defenseman, like, yeah, Eric Chernak's pretty good, or has his moments, and Mikhail Sergachev have their moments as well, and back in the day when they had Kevin Kirk, he was pretty good, too, but... Like, Victor Hedman is basically makes the Lightning who they are. Um, he's a big part of their identity. Um, he, you know, he's very dangerous on the power play. Um, and he's also, like, you know, he's he can also play defensively, too. He's very physical as well, which is... Um, he's probably one of the better... Like, if we were doing, like, defensemen, defensemen, like, if we just did this for all the current NHLers, not just countries... Victor Hedman would probably be on this list anyway, so um, so yeah, I think uh, he's he's on top of there, and it's like and as you were mentioning, he's not even thirty years old yet. Um, so all the reasons that you mentioned, and plus all the reasons I mentioned, that's why I think uh, Victor Hedman would be the guy. As for the second guy, um, I, it was between Eric Carlson and Rasmus Dahlin. Um, I went with Rasmus Dahlin. Uh, mostly because I'm still like not sure about like if when Eric Carlson is healthy, he is really 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 good, um, mm-hmm. top five player on, like currently. However,
0: in, in terms of in yeah. terms of future health and like what he's capable of, you're probably siding with yeah, for that reason exactly.
1: Um, yeah, and it's it's not to take anything away from Eric Carlson. He's a, he's a great player. A generational talent, if that. But just the fact that, Re- like, you know, he kind of, like, Rasmus Stelling didn't have a great second season compared, to, but only compared to his f- rookie season, which was pretty good. Uh, but, like, even still, like, as a 19 year old in the NHL, he had 40 points in 59 games. That's, that's still really, really good. And, um, you know, like, like, I know, like, people aren't, like, we're expecting him to be even. Better than, um, like than the twenty eighteen, you know, draft suggested. You know, even like Quinn Hughes had a better year than him. Um, uh, Kale McCarr had a better year than him. If you or Miro Heiskanen maybe, as well. So it's like, yeah, compared to those guys, he's not at that level just yet. But. He has the potential to be much better than them um, in the future, and you know he just has to get things going. And you know maybe it's just the the right coach just has to get used to the different ice. He's still like he's not even twenty years old yet, uh, so the sky's the limit for him, and that's why I'm going with him. Um, yeah, there was other considerations like Clefbaum and Klingberg and um, even ekman larsen but um, I felt like. You know, all all those guys kind of have some injury history as well, um, and uh, but I, f- I feel like Darlene has like the better potential out of everyone um, on this on this board. Um, yeah, I'm,
0: and I'm you and you put him board. alongside Hedman, who can yeah. like mentor him as exactly, well. Exactly,
1: exactly. Although like for only five minutes, he can mentor him. <laughs> but yes, you're <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is fine. Exactly, like you know, Hedman. Like maybe Hedman, Darlene will. Mess up, but like Hedman will take over because he's you know, Hedman's that good, so yeah, uh, exactly. Um, all right, and then who's your goalie? Uh,
0: so obviously, when it comes to track records, um, King Henrik um, doesn't get much better than that. And um, the, the fact of the matter is, he's nearing the end of the line and he's still a good goaltender, but I don't think he has that number one pedigree on the international stage as he once did. Um, I don't think Jakob Markstrom does because um, he hasn't been King Henrik good for consecutive seasons. Like, he was King Henrik good this year. Um, Just really the main reason why the Canucks were a threat to do much of anything in the playoffs. Um, But Robin Leonard has been on that pedestal for a couple of years now. Even during those Buffalo years where Buffalo... Wasn't doing well. They were still struggling and his record wasn't that great and his GA was all right. His save percentage was still around like 915, 920, which is incredible. And then you look at the half season he spent with Chicago this year and you look at the Hawks defense in front of him and they were still within striking distance in a lot of games because Robin Lyon was playing out of his mind. And then you put him on a team like the New York Islanders to the Vegas Golden Knights where you have defensive structure and uh, a team-oriented style that's committed to defense, not just offense, and you will see a guy that can post good numbers and make the big save when you need it to, uh, when when you really need it in those big situations. Um, I don't think there's a better goalie that, not just for this year, but in for many years down the line, has the upside that Leonard does. So, um, if I had to pick a goalie, I would go with Robin.
1: Yeah, I kind of have a similar type of uh, <laughs> thought process as you did. Um, like Lundquist, maybe five years from now, uh, ago would be the pick. Uh, Markstrom, if you remain healthy and was still consistent, but I think I mean Robin Leonard also has his consistency issues as well. But even when he was on like Buffalo and Ottawa, he like yeah he didn't win as much, but. His, like, save percentage, and if you take a look at his save percentage and his GAA, it's kind of unbelievable. Especially the 2016-2017 season, when he had, like, a 920 save percentage and a GAA of 2.68 on a bad Buffalo team, um, where he didn't win as much. It's, like, it's kind of crazy that he would like, he didn't even get any Bezina votes as I'm looking here. So, um... Yeah, he he's been he's pretty good even before all that like mental uh, lapses that he had in the, in the middle of the league. So it's like even with the consistency issues, you can kind of like take a turn to like when when he came back into the league in um, when he you know he started with the New York Islanders and then this year. Uh, when, even when he was on like Chicago, he was pretty good. His GAA wasn't great, but he had a nine eighteen save percentage. Um, and then when he went to Vegas, even though it was for three games, like a nine forty save percentage, and he, you know he kind of uh, willed uh, Vegas in the playoffs as well, and that showed the true yeah. indicator of what he was doing. To the point where he angered the ang- the agent. Of the other goalie that was on the, <laughs> on the team. So that's how good he was in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I think he, you know, he kind of like just through that playoffs, you just start to realize, like, okay, this guy's actually going to be pretty good. Um, and not just like a Kudobin thing, but like he actually, you know, he's shown that he's been consistent uh, for the last two years. Um, and that's, that's, that's really tough for the last. Couple of goalies, um, or especially for goalies, because you know they they always have consistency issues, um, and yeah, Markstrom um, is an interesting choice. Um, he has been he was good a couple of years ago too, but I, I feel like I I take more of my chances that Robin Leonard will save the puck more than Jacob Markstrom would. Um, so it's interesting too if Markstrom wasn't injured. In the playoff bubble, we would have had the Western Conference between these two guys of Markstrom and Leonard, But, um, yeah, so it will be interesting to see in the future. But, um, yeah, I think Robin Leonard, I, I'm more confident in Leonard winning this game than I would of Markstrom, even though Markstrom's not yeah. a bad pick at all. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go to... Oh, now we're doing Team Sweden. Um, so our team you mean, Finland, you mean team Finland? I, I meant team Finland, yes, sir. yeah, <laughs> and it's my turn here. So, uh, we're gonna start off with centers. Um, there's I mean, there's a lot of good choices here, I guess. Alexander Barkov, um, uh, you know, I guess, I guess it's really just these two it's it's Alexander Barkov and Sebastian Aho. um. And yeah, Barkov does have his merits. He's probably better defensively, but I feel like Sebastian Ajo has been more consistent. Um, and it's not even like a bad choice if you pick Alexander Barkov instead, but I think Sebastian Aho is. You know, like, I, mean, I remember when I was talking about Landeskog, he's probably one of the even more underrated guys in the league, too, because he really stepped it up um, in the playoffs, but. Um, even more so, a lot more people should start talking about him more. Uh, he's almost at a point per game pace this year, um, with 66 points in 68 games, and yeah, he's he's probably one of the better players in the league. It's you know even defensively speaking, he's pretty good too. So um, I, I guess you could maybe take the take the advantage of Barkov because. Like, you know, Barkov's better on face-offs than Aho is, but if you're doing, like, five minutes left and you need a point, you're probably going with Sebastian Aho, who can... Like, he almost has 40 goals um, as a center, which is uh, pretty crazy. And he's he's two years younger than Barkov, So that's uh, two things that are going in Aho's favor.
0: Yeah, uh, this is probably one of the toughest uh, debates that we've had because it's yep. hard to go wrong uh, with those guys like Ajo's goal total has gone up each and every single season. It was at 38 this year. It was 24 as a rookie. Um, he neared uh, his first three goals season um, near the end of year two and ended up settling with 29. He gets his first in year three with 30 on the dot and then he gets 38 this year. Um, in 2018-19, he had a whopping 53 assists and 83 points. Um, and if he played all 82 games this year, he would have registered 80 points on the button as well. Um, but I just like the amount of puck protection that Barkov provides. Uh, if you look at um, if you if you look at the amount of giveaways and takeaways, you compare um, Barkov and Aho. The thing that is working in ajo's favor is the takeaways because he had 40 as a rookie 59 in year two 81 in year three 71 this year uh, but you look at the amount of giveaways uh that barkov has registered uh here they are in order of first season to most recent season 17 27 29 30 63 69 52 yeah. so Not even 30 giveaways in each of his first three seasons. And you'll notice the slight increase in giveaway stats in the past three years where it was 63, 69, and 52. But in those three years, he had 82, 152 takeaways. So his offensive game continued to transform at that point as well. He had 78 points in 2017-18. The year after that, a whopping 96 points. And then uh, this year he had 62 points. And he's, uh, like Aho, emerging as a power play threat. Um, and is also able to rack up a ton of assists. He had 51 in 2017-18, 61 in 2018-19, 42 this past season. And he even had a 30-goal season in between as well. Um, so with the amount of two-way upside that he provides, not just offensive upside, um, I would give a slight edge to Barkov in that department, so he would be my pick.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so we're, we're agreeing in on that one. Um, as for left wingers, I, I was just looking here that there aren't too many great options for left wingers. Um, like, there's a lot of right wingers as well, but in terms of left mm. wingers, it isn't too many options and the only obvious one is, um, even if there were a lot of options, he, this guy would be a, a front-runner. Uh, T- uh, Sebastian Ajo's teammate, uh, Tevo Taravainen, um, or Turbo Teravainen as well, as, as he's sometimes called. Um, so the thing with Taravainen, um, he's kind of like, I mean, it's interesting too because I feel like Ajo scores more of the goals and then uh, Tarabainen is Gets most of those assists, um, so they already have good chemistry. So that's another good reason to to pick him as well. But like you know, he had sixty three, uh, sorry, forty eight assists, uh, sixty three points in sixty eight games, almost a point per game. Um, and same with last year, he had seventy six points in eighty two games. Uh, he's been pretty good the last like four years since he's been on Carolina. Um, and he's only 25 years old, uh, so that's also impressive. He's pretty good defensively as well. Um, uh, like, I, I, I'm seeing here that, I didn't even realize this, but he had some selkie votes as well, so that's pretty interesting, too. So, yeah, I think uh, Tara Vinan's my guy here, and um, yeah, I think he, he'll, he'll he'll have good chemistry with Sebastian Aho at the very least. Um, and there aren't too many other options, I guess. Like maybe Casper um, in terms of the left wing, but other than that, there aren't too many options.
0: Yeah, I think I think is a slam dunk choice. I mean, Kapanen definitely has top six upside, yeah. but um, I think consistency issues um, probably uh, turn me off of putting him in this position. Whereas Tara Vane and has really elevated his game the past three years. He was a plus 30 in 2018, 19 He was a plus 20 this year. Um, during key situations, like in the playoffs, he's had some solid playoff runs. He had 10 points in 18 games when the Hawks won the cup in 2015. Uh, He had seven goals and three assists in 15 games when the Hurricanes reached the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019. And then this year in eight playoff games, he had three goals, two assists for five points. Um, So in his earlier days, he was averaging like 14 to 16 minutes per game, around 15 goals, 35 to 45 points. The past three years have been much more noteworthy where he's averaging like 17 to 19 minutes a night. Um, A guy that averages between two minutes 40 seconds and three minutes of power play time each game a guy that's got at least 40 helpers three straight years he had 55 in 2018-19 and someone that can put up 60 plus points consistently and that included a career-high 76 points in 2018-19 that was a big year for Taravan as well not just Ajo Um, and on the power play 20 plus points in each of the past three years, too, so hard to go against And when you look at that. Uh, pretty impressive resume,
1: yeah, for sure. Um, as for right wingers, this is kind of got gets a little bit tougher because you have two pretty good options and a couple of decent options. Uh, but you know, so it's to me, it was either between Patrick Line and Miko Rantanen, um, and I think. I think we're going to differ on this, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to pick Patrick Liney. Um, nothing to uh, nothing to discourage Miko Rantanen. He's a very good player. Um, you know, in, in fact, you know, he's he is another underrated player as well. But um, I think the fact that like for Patrick Liney, um, he's you know he he had. His, he's kind of had an interesting career so far, even though he's only played four years in the in the system. Um, his rookie year, he had thirty six goals um, and sixty four points in seventy three games, and um, which is pretty good. And that put him into the Calder nominations and stuff. And uh, that was when he was an eighteen year old. Then, as a nineteen year old, he gets like forty four goals, and we all thought that this guy would be the next Alex Ovechkin. And then the next year, he gets a measly 30 goals. Like, no big deal. <laughs> he does have 50 points in 82 games, and to be fair, a couple of those points, he he was on, like, 17, he had 17 minutes of ice time that year. Um, he wasn't, like, totally, um, you know, given a fair shake and stuff like that. But, um so so like people have their concerns of like which Patrick Liney are you going to see um you know the 40 goal guy that um who had 70 points in 82 games or the 50 point guy um and if that's your floor that's still pretty good um and then this year he he does he does have 28 goals which wasn't isn't too bad and I assume if it was a full season he'd have more than 30 goals but this is like uh, but he still had the most assist by far, and um, and that was without any uh, games played, uh, like, with having the less, least amount of games played during that time. Um, so he had 35 assists, um, which isn't even that much, but, like, uh, it, compared to, like, all his other seasons, he started to improve his game where he started to pass more and started to uh, look out for stuff and... Um, things of that nature, um, and the funnier thing about this is, like, uh, there are trade rumors now of uh, maybe Patrick Line will be moved, um, and the front runner is the Carolina Hurricanes, um, and it just be and he and if he were to be on the Carolina Hurricanes, he'll probably be uh, on the line with Patrick uh, with Sebastian uh, Aho and Tevo Teravainen. So uh, this. Line could soon be a reality if uh, if he does go to Carolina. Um, I would think it would be kind of a stupid move for Winnipeg to do, but if they're going to do it. Carolina would be a great place for him to go to. Um, he could even he could even be better than what he's been in Winnipeg. So sky's the limit with this guy, and uh, that's my pick.
0: Yeah, so I went uh, with Patrick Linea as well. Oh wow! Uh, the okay. reason I didn't go with in is because. He's an efficient goal scorer, and he's a playmaker, but but this top line already has a lot of playmaking abilities. They already have Tara Bainin who sets up more goals than he scores. Uh, whether it's Aho or Barkov that you go with, again, both guys are more on the two-way side of things, force turnovers, rack up the assists more than they do goals. Patrick Laine can flat-out shoot the puck, and he can flat-out score goals. That's all they that need to know. Uh, 36 goals as a teenager only needed 204 shots then he gets 44 goals in year two a year where most young players are supposed to regress and he gets 20 goals by himself on the power play in that season on 241 shots a bit of a step back in year three because a bunch of the goals that he scored happened like a stretch of what 20 games um but he still had a 30 goal season still had 50 points still had 245 shots that's still pretty good and 15 of those three goals came on the power play um then you look at what happened this year he's a bit more well-rounded um his 82-game pace was 70 points or better in his first two years. Took a bit of a dive in year three, but then 63 points in 68 games this year. Um, is His points-per-game average over an 82-game season goes back up. Um, he secures a four-straight season with at least 200 shots. And he registered more assists than goals. He had 35 assists and 28 goals. So his overall game is also improving. I like uh, the upside that Patrick Lainey provides. And just that lethal quick release I think is perfect for this top line. I don't think there's any need to waste it and keep it on the bench. So I go with Lainey.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, I was surprised. I thought you would go with Rantanen. But I, guess...
0: I was him and Hong about it. But yeah. with with Terevanen and Barkov slash Aho, um, you needed a pure... Goal scorer, a guy that can flat out shoot it, and yeah. there's no point in wasting uh, that luxury that Patrick Lenny provides. So we'll the other
1: use it. the other thing I was noticing is that this season he had 97 hits in 68 games, whereas all the other all the other seasons he hits like 70 or he has 80 hits in like a full season. So this year he was like he, he already surpassed that as well. Um, I know hits are like a, a weird stat. Because you don't know, like, it feels like it depends on the arena or something, but that says a lot. That Yeah, they, they are
0: kind of <laughs> weird for goal scorers, though, because, yeah, like, that too. the thing that intrigues me about Ovechkin is he scores all those yep. goals. You look at the goals, you're just like, oh my God. Yeah, I didn't know that guy could hit that often.
1: Yeah, Ovechkin's another one like that, too. I mean, he was, like, he's yeah.
0: a rare, rare breed.
1: Exactly. So
0: you won't be a goal scorer like him.
1: Exactly. Um, and that's kind of why people compare him to Ovechkin, I feel like, just because he can score goals um, at will, and then he can also hit and um, intimidate yeah. you. Um, okay, uh, now let's go to the defensive side here. Um, so, <laughs> unlike Sweden, Finland doesn't really have a ton of great options, which is kind of interesting, because uh, I thought, like, when I was like <laughs> doing research and stuff, I thought who are more finished defensemen. And then when I thought about it, I was like, oh, I guess there aren't too many. So um, I can read you off some lists of people. Uh, Miro Heiskanen, Rasmus Ristalainen, Sammy Vadanen, Esa Lindell, Oli Mata, and then it gets significantly worse that, from there. Henry Yokiaru, <laughs> uh, Marcus Nusevera, Yuso Rikola, Vili Hinola, Sammy Naiku, Johnny Pa, Nico Mikola, Otto, Otto Leskinen and Erho Vakaninen. Those are, by the way, those are 14 defensemen. Um, and those were the only 14 defense finished defensemen that have played a, a game um, in the NHL last year. <laughs> that's that's a pretty short list. Yeah,
0: you, you just wait, though. Einola,
1: I, I, yeah. I think he's got a lot of upside. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I also think uh, Lassie Thompson, when he gets uh, some that's NHL action, too.
0: he could be very good for them as well. So. Yeah. There are there are guys on the up and up uh, that could be very serviceable. For oh, them, but yeah. you're right. There 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 are there, the the list is pretty short when it comes to quality quality defensemen in the NHL. Yeah. in terms of in terms of defensemen that played last year, it's not nearly as vast as the amount of guys on
1: team. Of sports. course, of course. Yeah, I guess that goes without saying. And like uh, you know, I I think when we were talking about the when we did the Winnipeg prospect thing. I remember I was saying like you know Sammy Naiku's a pretty good player. He just hasn't gotten the opportunity yet so I can see yeah. that happening. Uh, same with Erho Backeninen although he's more of those like defensive defensemen so you may yeah. not like it's a good thing if you haven't heard of his name. Uh, but he he's he's probably going to be one of those good shutdown defensemen and who could occasionally score. But um, yeah, so my choice uh, for the first one, and I, I, I would be livid if you didn't have this guy um, <laughs> on your that. list. But it's uh, Miro Heiskanen, who's uh, the first guy. Uh, he's by far the best Finnish player, uh, defenseman um, as well. But like he came alive truthfully in, um, you know, during the playoffs this year, where he's probably like one of the best players on the ice. Um, at times, and he was a big reason why Dallas was even um, in the Stanley Cup Finals to begin with, was because of his play, um, and you know, it's interesting too because, you know, there's also John Klingberg and uh, John Klingberg's more offensive, tends to be, but uh, Heiskanen, um is, uh, yeah, Heiskanen is more defensive in a way, but like, during the playoffs, Heiskanen was like one of the, the star's best offensive defenseman as well so so that's like a good thing too and he has like 35 points in 68 games so even in the regular season like yeah he could probably like if he wants to get into the elite elite level he could um, you know surpass that by getting more points on the offensive sides but defensively speaking he's one of the best out there um, and uh, is you know and could help um, all the other guys that we've just mentioned there, um, in the front. So, uh, Miro Iskin would be my first choice. My second choice, I wasn't, It's was kind of like a toss-up, really. This was either between Rasmus and Sammy Vatanen or Esa Lindell. I went with Esselindel. Um, kind of, maybe a hot take here, but, um, a good player, but, like, just the fact that I, uh, I was looking at his plus-minus, and it's was just like, uh, or throughout the years, it doesn't seem like it was that great. Um, he does hit a there lot. There's
0: also rhetoric and, in Buffalo that yeah. the Sabres fans don't like his defense either. Yeah, he's not so. great
1: defensively speaking. He does hit a ton. Uh, he has 203 oh, yeah. hits um, and 82 blocked shots, so that's good. But, like, at the same time, he, like, he just has the reputation of not being good defensively speaking, too, so, um, and, yeah, so I think Ristolainen, you're, like, I don't know if I think Ristolainen is the best choice, so, uh, Sammy Vannon's an interesting one, too, although he kind of has a similar situation as Ristolainen, where his defense isn't really that great, um, and he, he might be worse off even offensively. He can play offensively, but... May not be great, um, so I actually went with Esselindel here because um, sure, Esselindel had 23 points in uh, 69 games. That's not great, but uh, for a defenseman, or just uh, compared to everyone else that we've been talking about um, on the defensive side of things. But first off, he has 127 block shots um, and 89 hits, and I um, I just had his <laughs> profile here, but Last year, um, he had, uh, 32 points in 82 games, which isn't bad, um, for a defenseman, and, uh, yeah, and he had, like, uh, 161 blocks, 143 hits, so, I mean, I know fantasy isn't, like, real life, but <laughs> for fantasy, that's pretty good, um, and, uh, so, yeah, he has potential to be even better, and he can be with his teammate with, um, with uh, Miro Heiskanen on the on the side, although I think, they, I think they're both on the same side, but I forget if that's actually accurate or not. But, anyways, um, yeah, Elsa my pick purely just out of process of elimination. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I hate to disappoint you. I included Miro Heiskanen, so... Yeah, um, good, good.
1: You yeah. probably would have, have had to end this podcast if you
0: didn't. <laughs> it's just like, you are now dead to me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's just yeah, like, so... I don't, I can't
1: trust your hockey opinions anymore. <laughs>
0: your your arguments are... Every argument you make from now on is invalid. Exactly. exactly. Together. Um, yeah, I mean hard to imagine a pretty good first two years if you're an NHL defenseman uh than what Miro Heiskanen just did I think he's showing signs of being an elite defender before he turns 25 um during the Dallas Stars playoff run their run to the finals uh, this year they're playing against a lot of solid offensive teams they had to go through Calgary um they had to go through in the second round oh boy why am I blanking on who they went uh, up against uh, Colorado of course Uh, and then they had to go through Vegas and then they met Tampa Bay so that's a lot of top line talent with a lot of offensive pop and even strength on the power play going up against guys like Johnny Gaudreau Sean Monahan uh, Mark Stone Shea Theodore as well And then on Colorado, you obviously have McKinnon, Landis Coggin, Ranton, and the three-headed monster there and all their depth guys. Didn't take a single penalty leading up to the finals. And he's only a second-year NHL defenseman. Like, that's pretty crazy. And he doesn't have a single 40-point season yet, but still, 33 and 35 points. Pretty good first two years in that department. Just a very disciplined, very composed forward. And in a best on best scenario, you need that from your defense. You need guys that aren't phased in the moment. And and um, I think, is at the stage where he's averaging 23 minutes per game already, um, heading into the final year of his entry level contract. I think the sky's the limit for him. So uh, I really like the upside there. I will take a bit of a gamble. I was leaning towards Lindell. I'm going with Ristolainen because of his big presence. He's a guy that's like 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". Can hit like a monster truck, like 200 plus hits for three straight seasons, 100 plus blocks for five consecutive years. Typically a guy that gets you between 180 and 200 shots on goal, 40 plus points for four straight years and even this year didn't get 40 points but if he played all 82 games he would have gotten 39 points so that's still pretty close to 40 he can do a lot of good things there is that defensive risk so if you're hoping to be on the safe side and not taking as much of a gamble probably put Lindell in that spot but uh, I'm feeling a little bit greedy with what I've seen from Heiskanen that I'm willing to take that risk with, uh, with Risto but uh, it depends on the situation as well and who you're going up against.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. By the way, I so I just looked. Uh, Lindell is paired up with John Klingberg and not Heiskanen. Although they do play, uh, Heiskanen and Lindell both play uh, on different sides of the ice. So it's, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. So the
0: fact that they know each other pretty well in their teammates, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm it, sure it,
1: team chemistry to exactly. an extent
0: could play a role in the final decision. Yeah, you yeah. You know, someone is in charge, but. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, Of course, for goalies, it shouldn't be too much of a surprise. I'm going with Tuka Rask here. Um, And I'll I'll defend my pick in a second, but I do want to put in – I didn't really consider any of the other ones, but I do want to highlight that UC Saros is a good choice here. Um, He had like a – I think he was the best goaltender in the second half this year. Um, Like he had like a 940 save percentage since January or something like that. Um, Miko Koskinen's another one, Pe- Pecorine, Anti-Ranta, if they're healthy. Um, and then, in the future, maybe Capo Kockinen, um, will be there too. Um, yeah, so Tugarask is my pick here. Uh, just, like, like, it's not just, like, I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about how good Tugarask is, and we're, we're pretty much anti, I mean, I guess if Felger was... On uh, this podcast, he wouldn't take Tukaraskin, um but at the same time, he's a big reason why the Bruins are where they're at right now. And uh, like, I mean, I know the Bruins still did pretty well in the playoffs, but um, I think a big reason why they didn't really give the Lightning too much of an issue was the fact that Yaroslav Halak wasn't used to being that consistent of a player, uh, a goalie for them. And so if you're, you know, and Tuga is pretty consistent when he's not injured or ops out or whatever. So, um, yeah, in the past he had like a 929 save percentage, a 2.12 GAA, which is incredible. Um, last year he had um, like pretty much like down the board. I could just list off all his save percentages in his GAA and the amount of wins that he has every year. Um, he's just probably one of the more consistent goaltenders in the league, which is very tough to say on um, on any team um, or for any goalies, because you know goalies have a ton of consistency issues. But there is something to be said for the fact that he's been the starter for the Bruins for like a decade, um, and uh, or uh, actually like almost a decade. I should say like eight years. Uh, which is still a lot and um, I know there's rumors that he's gonna retire doesn't appear that way it may just be rumors so um, I remain hopeful but he's a very fun player to watch because I've watched pretty much every single game he's ever played Um, and yeah he's he's a a incredible and I guess the one knock is yeah he hasn't been like he hasn't won the cup but at the same time when you look at his playoff stats like, he's, first off, he's played, like, 93 games in the playoffs. And then he has, like, a save percentage of a 926 save percentage and a GAA of 2.2. It's, like, I don't know. It's, it's it's incredible that people, the Boston media even, thinks that he's, like, he's, he's not clutch in the playoffs or he can't perform in the playoffs. It's just, like, it's not, like, yeah, he may have messed up those 17 seconds and... 2013 and um, but like a big reason why they even got to that place in the first place was because he was incredible he like swept the penguins which was unheard of at the time so I don't know anyways I, un, I'm i gonna get off my soapbox you all know how I feel about this guy uh, so Tugarask is my guy
0: <laughs> I'm more surprised you didn't mention Corpus Salah when you were talking about the oh, honorable old that's another one too that he had. Um, yeah, I, I think a good one too. I think he could be on the up and up with Saros if he continues to elevate his game. But right now, Tuka Rask is still the guy.
1: Yep. Like,
0: Corpus Corpusalo and Saros are not at that number one pedigree as Rask has shown uh, continuously over the past seven, eight, nine, ten seasons that he's been in Boston. Um, he's been the Bruins' number one guy on a pair of Stanley Cup runs. Um, was a spectator in another when they won the Cup, but. Um, twice in in the same decade, uh, the Bruins went to the finals based on his performance alone. And he still can get the job done. Uh, he still can get the job done. There's not much to debate there. A Vesna caliber goalie. He's won the Vesna before. Um, and I think at 33, 34 years of age, he's still got a bit left in the tank. Where um, Finland can win a gold medal with solid play from from Tuka. So um i like their chances with rask and net um sometimes they just haven't had the right team in front of them to get stuff done um and it's it was the case when Kippersov was the goalie it was the case when for a period of time Pekarine was the goalie um it not all of the the failures of team finland on the world stage have to do with duke rask there have been other factors as well so um, yeah, I, I would still I would still trust um, in a do or die situation Tuka Rask to to make the big statement needed. So yeah, not much not much to debate there. I think yeah. uh, I think Tuka's your guy.
1: Exactly. It is interesting that we have like two t- like two teammates together with Aho, Tarvainen, and, and oh at least I have Heiskinen and Lindell, and then you know and then you have like two of my favorite players in lineing and Tuka Rask. So. Um, I like my list here for Finland Um, although I I will admit though like it is getting harder and harder to pick your players Um, I guess because just the I mean Canada um, and even the United States has a lot of good players but um, like don't get me wrong of course Sweden and Finland have good players too but it seems like they don't have as much in terms of depth I think if it
0: came to a game of depth, uh, Sweden would have the advantage for sure. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, it comes down to as the best top line. So,
1: of course, yeah, Sweden. Yeah, I should mention Sweden has good depth on forwards and defense and in goal too. So, um, yeah, that's true. But Finland, I feel like, doesn't necessarily. But um, they could they could compete with this team. I feel like (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, yeah,
0: they can definitely hang for sure.
1: Um, anyways, let's go that's it for us today. Um, yeah, you can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify uh, at Lace Em Up, or if you're not subscribed or follow us there, please do. We, um, we rely on that. Um, and you can also, uh, follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up, um, although we don't. We don't really update it that often there on Facebook. So, um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve
0: Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 245 of the Lace Mount Podcast.